There are certain phrases that are used to reveal a sense of intellect, but actually show its opposite. One of those phrases which you'll come across in church circles from time to time is a biblical view of marriage. People use this phrase to say that their ideas about marriage are shaped by what Scripture says. What's funny is that if you read the Bible, you'll notice virtually none of the marriages that are actually in it would meet the standard of a biblical marriage. Even in today's first reading, you notice that Jacob crossed the river with his two wives. That's biblical, but it's not biblical. That's because marriage has changed over time. In the Hebrew Bible and for Jesus' contemporaries, marriage was not about two people falling in love. It was an arrangement that was made by families for their own economic and social interest. Women, this was a patriarchal, patriarchal culture, were passed from the authority of their father's family into their husband's family. And if you were a woman in Jesus' time and your husband died, this meant you were put in a very unstable economic position. Sometimes your husband's family would be responsible for you, but sometimes if they wouldn't take responsibility for you, you'd have to just depend on the goodwill of strangers. So in Jesus' culture, widows were something of a protected class. People revealed their character by the way they treated widows. Orphans, the poor, migrants all had similar status. Seeking their welfare wasn't just something nice, like being a good neighbor to the person who lives next door. It was a divine prerogative. If someone tells you they love God, but they actually don't care about widows, that means they actually don't love God. Now, if you were a widow in Jesus' culture, this had some very obvious upsides for you. There was some social expectation that your welfare mattered. People believed that treating you well was a way they honored God. It was difficult for people to ignore you. But this kind of benevolence also has a very clear downside to it. You were thought to be passive. You were seen as a recipient. And most important, you always had to be grateful. Don't ask for anything people aren't offering. Don't question their motives. And don't say anything except thank you. The nice thing about having your care be divinely mandated is that people do it. The wrath of God is a pretty good motivator. The bad thing is that the people who give to you often don't see you as a person who exists apart from your own giving to them. So the widow in today's gospel reading should give us pause because she ignores all of the norms that her culture has set up for her. She's had some negative experience. We don't know exactly what it is. It's probably someone owes her money or something. And she goes to a judge, and in theory, the judge should rule in her favor. She has a fair claim. The community should be taking care of her. But the judge, Luke tells us twice, neither fears God nor has respect for people. So the judge just ignores her. Now, based on what I told you a few minutes ago, what should happen next? If you're a widow and you can't get justice, you should depend on people's charity. If people won't give you what's rightly yours, then hope that they'll give you some of what they consider theirs. When the justice system fails you, just find someone with some extra income, someone who needs a tax write-off, or just set up a GoFundMe for yourself. 
and be grateful for whatever people give you. Is that what the woman in today's story does? No, that's not what she does at all. She goes back to the judge and pesters him again and again about her charge. Jesus' judge says that she's wearing him out by coming back again and again. But a literal translation of the judge's lament is something closer to, she will come again and give me a black eye. It's an exaggeration, but you get the idea. Now today, this woman would be called shrill or punitive or divisive, not a good role model, not likable, too cloying. After all, you get more flies with honey than with vinegar. But Jesus looks at her and says, this is actually the model of faith. Because she shows up again and again every day, no matter what other people think, and asks for what's rightly hers. And look at how the judge responds to her faithfulness. Does the judge think she's being faithful? No, the judge thinks she's being really annoying. And presumably that's what the other people in town thought too. But Jesus says that when people who don't fear God and don't respect people start to get annoyed with you, that doesn't mean you should stop. It means you should keep going. Now, part of what makes this widow faithful is that she refuses to give in to her cultural platitudes about the importance of being grateful. We often think of gratitude as the supreme theological virtue. The theologian Karl Barth once famously wrote that grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder or lightning. God is always full of grace, so you should always be full of gratitude. But gratitude is not always a good thing. Sometimes gratitude can actually be a harmful thing. Now this may seem like a weird thing for me to say. We're taught as children that it's important to be grateful. Many of our institutions would run better if people could learn to be grateful and not so anxious. But gratitude can also be an easy thing to weaponize against other people. It's easy to use gratitude not as a way to recognize God's grace in your life, but as a way to keep people in their place. Earlier this year, there was a revealing example of this that went viral. Shortly after Anderson Cooper's mother died, he interviewed Stephen Colbert on his show, and the subject turned to Colbert's father and two brothers who died in a plane crash when he was 10. And here's how Colbert described his experience of grief. I'm going to give you the whole quote. I don't want it to have happened. I want it not to have happened. But if you're grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do, not everybody is, and I'm not always, but it's the most positive thing to do, then you have to be grateful for all of it. You can't pick and choose what you're grateful for. So Colbert here is reflecting on an accident that had happened almost five decades ago and suggesting that his experience of grief has somehow allowed him to help other people with their grief. And so he can be grateful for all of his life, even though he didn't necessarily want it to turn out the way it did. So this is a fairly complicated point about his own ambivalence toward how the bad in his life has been used for good. When that quote was chopped up and sent out over the Twitter sphere, any of that nuance was lost. And the whole thing was reduced to that last line, quote, you have to be grateful for all of your life, 
You can't pick and choose what you're grateful for. That's a very different message to send people. Instead of opening up a conversation with God about grief and what it means to receive a life that you don't always want, that's what Colbert is talking about, gratitude becomes a cudgel that we use to get people to just shut up. Instead of gratitude becoming something that enriches your life, it becomes something that minimizes it. You can't pick and choose what you're grateful for. Stop being so annoying. It's fairly easy to think about examples of this. Think about the people we often label ungrateful. Immigrants who want to improve their communities are ungrateful for what they've been given. Athletes who don't stick to sports are ungrateful for how good they have it. Actresses who were sexually harassed are ungrateful for the breaks their abusers gave them. And sometimes we internalize those messages too. We have lots of people in our community with, with what look like pretty good, stable, fulfilling lives who struggle with depression. And even if they have the access to professional help, they don't seek it because they don't want to come off as, well, ungrateful. Ungrateful is basically just a coded way of saying that people are being uppity, shrill, selfish, which, as it just so happens, is what people thought about the woman in today's Gospel reading. So what does the widow in today's Gospel reading have to teach us? Well, the widow should remind us that living lives of gratitude does not mean that we can't lament or protest or, to use Jesus' phrase, cry out. To live lives of gratitude is to recognize that everything we have in our is a gift of God. So when we ask for the fullness of God's mercy... It means not compromising with half measures. When we ask for our daily bread, it means not settling for half a loaf. So be satisfied by God's grace, Jesus tells us, but stay hungry for God's justice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Invite the assembly to stand as we join the church around the world confessing our.